Blog Talk Radio. Good afternoon and welcome to Empowering Family Caregiver Show on Blog Talk Radio. I'm Meghna Giridhar, your show, your host for today's show, sponsored by eCareDiary.com. Today we will talk about modifying home settings to aid loved ones with dementia. To help shed light on this, I'm very pleased to introduce our distinguished guests, Lisa Barron and Carolyn Rochester from Memory Care Home Solutions in St. Louis, Missouri. Lisa is the founder and executive director of Memory Care Home Solutions that improves quality time at home for families caring for loved ones with memory loss, dementia, or Alzheimer's disease. She was a finalist for the 2012 Robert Wood Johnson Foundation Community Health Leaders Award. Carolyn recently joined Memory Care Home Solutions as program director. She has over 12 years of experience working with the geriatric population as a speech-language pathologist, treating clients with cognitive impairments in inpatient, outpatient, and skilled nursing settings. Lisa and Carolyn, thank you so much for joining us today. Thank you for having us. Thank you. We uh, we have a ton of questions for both of you since, uh, you know, we've had a lot of interest in this topic, and I'm so very glad that we're finally focusing on this. So let's get right to it. My first question is for, for you, Lisa. Uh, we often find that services are geared on what we can do for the loved one with dementia. Why did you choose to focus on the caregiver? Thank you. Because there are so many services that are focused on the patient and, and often the, the person who is really incurring more expense for both the public and private and insurance sectors, because there's such a focus on that population, we found that a unique sort of niche was to focus on the caregivers, those people who are caring for the patient. I started this organization as a result of of my own personal involvement with our family, where my father-in-law was the caregiver for my mother-in-law who had Alzheimer's for about 12 years, and our family was continually worried about my father-in-law, Charles, as the caregiver. How was he doing? How was he eating? How was he sleeping? Was he staying engaged in activities? There were many, many things that were put in place for Betty, the person with Alzheimer's, adult daycare, and nurses, and family visits, but there were no specific services being put in place for Charles, for the caregiver. So we decided we would focus on the caregiver. And there's so many different ways of focusing. One way is to be able to help the caregiver emotionally, and the other way is to be able to help the caregiver physically. Why did you in particular choose to focus on adapting home settings? That's a very unique feature of uh, your organization. Can you tell us a little bit about that? Sure. In, um, in, in thinking about starting an organization, and we, started, we looked around to identify needs in the senior care community because as a result of my family, we were seeing that definitely this was taking an emotional toll on the caregiver. But how did a home setting affect the caregiver and the care receiver? And I went and visited other facilities that help people with dementia function on their highest level. So some of the facilities that were very high-end and very well thought out 
had made some glaring mistakes unbeknownst to them. For example, one of the places that we visited had a dining room that was bordered with black carpeting. And so the residents who had dementia wouldn't walk into the dining room. So it really opened my eyes to how environment can impact on the caregiver and on the care receiver. So as I said, we were seeing the physical or emotional tolls for the caregiver through my father-in-law, but I started seeing how environment can really impact on both the caregiver and the care receiver. For example, with that little black, that, that insight into what the black carpeting could do, we now go into home settings and can give people a swatch of black carpet, put it in front of their door to prevent their loved one from leaving because the person with dementia will look at that and perceive it as a whole often and won't go beyond the, the door. You know, they'll stay in the home. Mm-hmm. So there are many, many things that can help caregivers in the home setting, and we give those things to people. We give them the assistive devices. We'll give them door alarms so that when the door mm-hmm. opens, both in interior doors and exterior doors, the the caregiver is notified. Or we'll talk about other things you can do in a home environment setting, such as if your loved one's waking up in the middle of the night and is hungry, Rather than the caregiver sleeping interrupted, the caregiver can put out a plate of finger foods that the care receiver, the person with dementia, can wake up and help themselves to. So that's helping both the mm-hmm. care receiver and the caregiver. That's that's really interesting, Lisa. Um, can you touch upon um, a few more ways in how uh, you know through your organization you? Um, can you give us a can you give us a few more examples on how you focus on the caregiver? You just you just elaborated on two or three of those, but um, as an organization, sure. what are the main? So the way the program of, lays the out is mm-hmm. we we want what we do is we set up an appointment with the caregiver. They call us and say, "Oh my gosh, I'm ready to pull my hair out. I am so frustrated." The person that I'm caring for is walking around saying, "Mom, mom, mom," all the time. I need your help. They don't need a diagnosis. Mm -hmm. They don't need to have a specific income level. They just need to know, oh, my gosh, I need help. Something cognitively is not going on correctly with my loved one. We set up the appointment. Mm -hmm. We go out to the home, and we meet with the caregiver and anybody who's part of the caregiving team. So the children of the caregiving team, whoever wants to be there, the spouse, and if, if the family feels good about it, they include the person with dementia. Mm -hmm. So we meet, and we say to the caregiver, what is the most difficult issue with which you are dealing right now? What is it that's keeping you up at night? What is it that makes it hard for you to keep your head above water? They might say constant repetition, wandering, hoarding, rummaging, medical management. We've got all these pills in a brown paper bag. We don't even know how to give them. We can Mm -hmm. help them with all of these issues, and we can give them resources in the community to connect them with that they may not even know exist and that are free. And we can help them with medical management, what questions to be asking their doctors. Then we take a tour of their entire home and we get to know every single area and we give them ideas for how to make an environment more friendly, more more conducive to their loved one functioning in the in a healthy manner. So 
if there's a closet and it's full of clothes, they can declutter that. They can simplify the care the care receiver's life. Let's say they're they're going into a bathroom and the the um, counter is it's filled with all these different cosmetics and items and maybe the only thing that the care receiver now knows how to do is brush their teeth. Take everything off the counter and put a toothbrush and a tube of toothpaste. And they can continue mm -hmm. going into the bathroom, see that, it's a cue for them, and they're not concerned by everything else that's there. They just know, oh, toothbrush, toothpaste, I can do that for myself. That's great. These are things that caregivers um, don't necessarily even realize they can be implementing right now to help their loved ones stay engaged and help them mm -hmm. have less stress. That sounds fantastic, Lisa. You know, an important question that I've been asked, you know, um, as we research a question from audience members, there's one question which comes up very often. And in your experience, I would like to know what you think of the following. What kind of information do you think is most pertinent for caregivers during their challenging journeys based on all the home visits and all the uh, families that you've met? Right. You know, I think that while I've explained to you, we go into homes, we give bath benches to people, we give stop signs to people that they can put on their front door, we give alarms and this black swatch of carpet to prevent people from wandering out. I think mm -hmm. when all is said and done, we give a strategy plan that helps people identify what they can put in place. The fact is, mm -hmm. the most important thing that we do for families, honestly, is just being there. It is the fact that we, have to, we are there for them, that they can call us at any time and say, you've been in my home, you've seen Betty, you know what a mess my situation is, help me out. I, the fact that they don't feel alone after they've connected with us is enormous. Caregivers mm -hmm. inherit the role of being a caregiver and they don't know how to be the best caregivers they can, but they want to be. And the fact is they're looking for partners, they're looking for answers. And we are that partner. We're part of their team once we're, we go into their home. That is the most important part, honestly, of what we do. Great. Um, Carolyn, my next question is actually for you. Can you take us through the steps um, you know, of a typical home visit? How does, it, how, do, how does it begin? How does it end? Sure. Well, everybody who enters into our program starts with an initial home visit. And in order to be enrolled into our program, you just need to have an informal caregiver who's knowledgeable about their loved one and that their loved one has some sort of suspected memory loss, dementia, or Alzheimer's disease. Again, we don't require a formal diagnosis or a doctor's order. So our home visits mm -hmm. are conducted by either a licensed social worker or a speech pathologist and are really geared towards understanding what's going well with caregiving, and what particular challenges the caregiver is having. And during our home visit, we try to accomplish four main things. The first being that we really initiate the dementia education process. So what's typical of dementia behaviors and what is atypical. And if our caregiver and care receiver are new to the diagnosis, or they're not really exhibiting specific symptoms at this time, we talk about what sort of signs and symptoms to watch out for, such as if they're driving and getting lost frequently, those are signs they need to watch out for, or with checkbook management, if they're starting to be late with their bills or not adding up the bills correctly, those might be signs they need to watch out for in the future. 
Secondly, mm -hmm. we review and problem solve how to mitigate difficult dementia behaviors with the care receiver. So we'll talk about strategies for repetitive behaviors, wandering, if the loved one is bored during the day or um, acting particularly aggressive. We'll go through each of those dif difficult behaviors and problem solve with the caregiver's different strategies and solutions for them. Thirdly, we'll connect caregivers with available resources in the community. So they do, do they need resources for respite care, transportation in the community if their loved one's no longer driving? Do they need resources like Meals on Wheels or connect them with the local Alzheimer's chapter again for additional support and services? And lastly, like Lisa mentioned, we'll do a safe home safety assessment. So we'll review the home mm -hmm. for fire and fall risks and do a room-by-room -room check to make recommendations for safety as well as different adaptive equipment to keep the care receiver as independent in the home as possible. So does the stove need stove covers to prevent use of the stove and prevent future fires? These are all items that we can provide to our clients during the home safety assessment. But aside from Great. doing our home visits, what's been really fascinating is that we've been receiving a lot of interest in helping clients outside of our St. Louis and Illinois area. So we've started doing some virtual home visits where we can talk with caregivers over the phone or over Skype to provide them with the same great level care that we would in person. Because if you think about it, we can still provide the dementia education, still discuss types of resources in the community, discuss behaviors and strategies and solutions, and do the home safety assessment with the use of the computer camera. So caregivers have mm -hmm. been really appreciative of the assistance that we can offer them in this manner. And so far, we've spoken with caregivers in places like Delaware, Oklahoma, Kansas, Oregon, and New Mexico. So that's um, a little bit of our typical home visit that we can conduct. That's fantastic to know that you. This is not just. Um, it's not just something that is local. This is something that can be duplicated and can be. Uh, these services could be provided to anyone caring for someone. It could also be for someone who's not really based in the same city as you. So that's that. That's. Um, I think that model would really, really work. And I'm. I'm glad you uh, focus on that, Carolyn. Um, when you know, once you're done with the initial home visit, do you typically get any feedback from caregivers about how they or their loved ones are doing? Yeah, after the home visit, we provide our caregivers with a written plan, a strategy plan, because we know that our initial meeting can be really overwhelming with our care receiver caregivers. So what we do is we write down all that we discussed in detail and mail them a written strategy report as well as provide them with different visual aids that may be helpful in the home, different safety products that we had recommended during the home safety assessment as well. And our communication with our clients really doesn't stop after the home visit either. Um, so we, after a home report is mailed, we then follow up with our families at three months and six months by phone or email, whichever is more convenient for them. And we continue to check in with them and problem solve with the caregiver on how things are going at home. If things are going well, then that's great. If things are not going well, then we talk and come up with new strategies and come up with a game plan with them. We ask mm -hmm. if the initial strategies we recommended at the time of the home visit were implemented. 
and follow up to see how the care receiver is doing. And then at 12 months, we'll mail a letter to our clients to remind them that we're always a resource for them and to call us if anything in their caregiving journey should arise that they know that we're just a phone call away. We have some clients who continue to call us for years or come back to volunteer to our organization because of the great care they received. So our program really starts with the, at the time of the initial home visit, and we continue mm -hmm. to follow up with our clients after that for some time, up to a year. Fantastic. Um, when it comes to, uh, you know, I have a question about the home safety assessment. What kinds of home safety strategies do you recommend to caregivers? So during our home safety assessments, we're really examining the home through the eyes of a care receiver who has memory loss, perceptual deficits, and language deficits. So we examine each room in the home for safety and fire risk. And I think developing the home calls for really creative solutions to increase the security and freedom in the home. So in general, I think we have to think about three main things. We have to think about prevention, adapting the environment, and minimizing danger. In terms of prevention, our goal is always to prevent injury, falls, fires, and wandering. And as Lisa mentioned, um, we have a particular caregiver training environment here and where we demonstrate different caregiver techniques to minimize wandering, such as placing those black mats at the doorways, because oftentimes people with dementia perceive those black mats to be a hole in the floor. We also use items like stop signs, door chimes, locks on the door, or even covering up the doorknobs so that our loved ones um, don't see the doorknobs themselves. So we have to think in terms of preventing these falls, preventing wandering. Secondly, mm -hmm. I think we have to adapt the environment, ways that we can increase our loved one's independence while decreasing caregiver physical strain. And we know that even making these small changes can have a big impact and that these changes really don't have to be expensive. One thing I recommend at almost every home visit I do is labeling drawers and cabinets with what's inside them so that their loved ones can find their items easier. Um, I also recommend a lot of times using adaptive equipment, especially in the bathroom, like a shower chair, so that their loved ones have less of a fear of falling in the bathroom. And setting up the bathroom um, with a toothbrush and toothpaste out, with their items out, especially personal hygiene, uh, hygiene items out, for increased access and use. Or if their mm -hmm. loved one has a hard time route finding and locating the bathroom at night, we recommend taping a pathway with bright colored tape from their bedroom to their bathroom so they can more easily find it. So adapting the environment is another great way, another great suggestion that we make during our home safety assessment time. And lastly, we you need did. to minimize the danger at all times. So we mm -hmm. think about removing items that are potential fall risks, especially those throw rugs, replacing burnt out bulbs to make sure that there's adequate lighting in the home, and repairing those rickety stair rails um, making sure that our loved ones have adequate ways to go up and down the stairs safely. So those are three mm -hmm. things that we make sure we recommend during our home safety assessment. Great. Is there any other additional training that you provide for care partners? There is. Aside from our initial home visit, 
We also offer another program to our informal caregivers called the Memory Care Plus program. And that's where we can have an occupational therapist come to the home to further provide the caregiver with hands-on training. So we were recently awarded additional grant funding provided by the Missouri Foundation for Health to extend our program offering in this really exciting way. During the initial home visit, we may identify needs in the home to try different adaptive equipment or model different cueing techniques with the caregiver or even demonstrate appropriate ways to transfer your loved one in and out of a chair or in and out of bed. So now the occupational therapist can come out to the home and work hands-on with the caregiver over multiple therapy sessions on these goals to make sure that they feel more comfortable taking care of their loved one at home, all with the goal of keeping their loved one safe and secure at home for as long as possible. And aside from training the informal caregivers, we also offer training seminars for formal caregivers and those direct care providers who may want to specialize and improve their knowledge as they are working with adults with dementia. So we offer a, dyna a dynamic curriculum in our unique caregiver training environment so care providers can understand and develop skills, learn new strategies, share ideas with their peers, and really become dementia experts. We mm -hmm. offer these training seminars twice a year, and they're really great opportunities for caregiving organizations like private duty and home health companies to specialize and excel in their caregiving role. Fantastic, Carolyn. You know, with all these amazing services that your organization provides, um, it would be great if you could share some kind of results, um, if you found any, when it comes to reducing caregiver burden, which is the biggest issue. Um, you know, after having used your services, has, are there any numbers that you can share with us about how it has helped caregivers overall? Absolutely. You know, while we're not billing Medicare or private insurance for our services, we do collect and track data on our clients because we know the importance of demonstrating in objective terms the effectiveness of our program. We really strive to demonstrate beyond anecdotal evidence that our program is making an impact in the lives of people with dementia and their caregivers. So at each of our touch points, which are the initial home visit, three, six, and 12 months, we collect information on things like caregiver strain, the dementia behaviors that their loved ones are illustrating, the utilization of healthcare resources like how many times their loved ones had to call 911, how many times their loved ones had to utilize ER, the, the emergency room, or had to go to their primary care physician for that extra visit. So our trends really indicate that caregivers do feel more prepared and more confident for the challenges of caregiving, and that um, over 50% of the strategies that we recommend at the time of the home visit are implemented by the caregivers. And we also are able to demonstrate decreased utilization of emergency medical services and hospitalizations. So for our program year, last year, we were able to show that 911 calls were decreased by 53% overall between the time of the initial home visit and our first contact with them again at three months. 
as well as emergency room visits were decreased by 41% overall, as well as outpatient visits to their primary care physicians decreased by 8%. So we really feel that care, if caregivers are not having to rush out their loved ones to the hospital emergency room or call 911 or take their, prime, take their loved one to the primary care doctor for extra visits, that really, this really does drastically reduce their overall caregiving burden and caregiving strain. Thank you for sharing these numbers, Carolyn. It truly shows how much you're doing for the community and how the organization is really making such an impact. Um, my last question is for Lisa. Um, Lisa, you meet with caregivers on a regular basis. What do you think are the biggest challenges facing families caring for loved ones with dementia in particular? I think that one of the biggest challenges is the one that we spoke about already, which is that feeling of isolation, where families have inherited a role of being a caregiver and have no idea how to handle it. They don't know the resources available. They don't understand the disease itself. They don't understand the progression of the disease. And they don't understand what they can do for it. So the biggest challenge that we're helping them with is, in part, education. They just, they really don't understand the disease, and they don't understand how it's going to continue and what's out there to help them. The other thing that we find that a lot of caregivers are dealing with is choices for the future. Because they don't know how the disease is going to progress, and while they may be committed to keeping their loved one at home right now, they don't know about all of the other options that are available, not only in terms of living options like assisted living or independent living. They might not know about all the services like private duty or, or just in-home care. But they also don't know about things like power of attorney. They don't know about end-of-life issues. So. While we can help them initially with the biggest challenge of helping them currently with what they're dealing with, the other challenge that we find a lot of caregivers dealing with is, what are my options for the future? What's, what's out there? What, what should we be thinking about, not just now, but a year from now? So we really try to help them across the board uh, from, from now until the future, and we're here for them. And we, what we also try to do is help them with all of the resources out there that they don't know are available to them right now. Mm -hmm. Thank you, Lisa. And then finally, been, go ahead, please, please. I was going to say, I think that lots of the things that we can help caregivers with right now have to do with educating them about physical things like dehydration and bed sores mm -hmm. and urinary tract infections and things that we can help them with now so that they don't have to go to the emergency room. They, if they learn how to be offering water to their loved one, and the, the family member says, well, my, my loved one doesn't like water, we'll give them a popsicle. And the family member says, well, they're diabetic, they won't take a popsicle, it has sugar, give them a sugar-free popsicle. You're just helping families brainstorm some of the most basic issues around things like dehydration, help it so they can mm -hmm. stay at home rather than go to an emergency room. 
Thank you. Thank you, both of you. It's been an absolute pleasure having you as a guest. I want to share your uh, website with our um, listeners today. Um, listeners, you can learn more about the work that Lisa and Carolyn do at Memory Care Home Solutions at www.memorycarehs.org. I'll repeat that. It's www.memorycarehs.org. I'd like to thank our audience for tuning in today. Our next show is on next Tuesday, November 18th at 2 p.m. Eastern. This is our caregiver and physician conversation show hosted by our caregiving expert, Marjorie Papst. She will be speaking to Dr. Barry Jacobs, author of Emotional Survival Guides for the Caregiver, about handling relationship dynamics among caregiver siblings. To learn more about eCare Diary and our upcoming shows, visit www.ecarediary.com. Registration is free and gives you immediate access to your personal care diary tools. You can also find us on Facebook, Twitter, and LinkedIn. My Twitter address is eCare underscore diary. Thank you, ladies, and thank you, everyone. Thank Thank you. you.